films and teams and teams and films films and teams and teams and films yo what's up my beautiful little tings i'm your humble host sharda k and you're on with films and tings thank you so much my little tings for being so understanding for not having an episode last month I had to deal with some personal and familial tings, so I really appreciate the patience. Black History Month is over now, but that doesn't mean you need to stop supporting the movement for equality across race, sexuality, and gender. I challenge you to keep supporting BIPOC businesses, content, services, and people. Before we get into this, I'd like to give a shout out to Brie Kay. Like I've mentioned before, Brie is a digital designer as well as spiritual mindset coach. She's worked on my logo and has a dope book out. In the past, I've stressed the importance of mental health and I will continue to do so. So who knows, we may revisit that topic with a special guest in the future. But for now, if you're looking for a positive self-help book to shift your mindset, order Brie K's book, As Above, So Below, at the link in the description. It's an easy read and has amazing tips, especially for someone wanting to improve their mindset on the go. I hope that all of my listeners, my little tings have been doing well out there. I know that we've all been grinding and just going through this crazy place that we call the world. And, you know, don't forget to take care of yourselves. So, on this episode, I have a special surprise. Not to say that every other episode is special, but today we have a special guest interview with, drum roll please, Martin C. Jones, producer and studio director of Austin Studios and the founder of www.blackfilmgeniuses.com. Thank you so, so much, Mr. Martin C. Jones, for joining Films and Things today. I know everyone, including myself, is so excited to have you on the show. Thank you and welcome. Thank you, Sharda. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I love the name of your podcast, and I'm looking forward to chatting with you and your audience. Me as well. I'm so excited. Like, I don't know. I'm like, I'm like dancing in my chair right now. So I'm very excited to have you here. Um, my films and tings group and my little tings, we have been really moving into a direction of getting some industry professionals to interview and just professionals within their industry in general. So this is a pretty big deal for the show, for me and for my listeners, because part of the show is we wanna provide as many resources as we can for black and brown women and specifically BIPOC communities. Excellent. Um, So first, before we jump into the interview questions, what made you say yes to joining the show today? Well, you're persistent and you're professional. And I appreciate that. Uh, anyone that has their creative hustle going, you know, always, uh, I think, emits great energy and you emitted great energy. I've gotten to know you a little bit since you took a tour of uh, Austin Studios a while ago. And yes. I've just seen you stay in touch and iterate and, you know, be doing things that um, are advancing your career. And although we haven't had a chance to speak a lot, I could just tell that you're gaining momentum. And so anything I can do to help be a part of that journey is uh, fun for me. That means so much to me. I really appreciate that. And I always think about that studio tour. I'm just like, every time I think about it, I'm so blessed to have had that opportunity and even just meet the folks that we were talking to and just it was wonderful so first I just wanted to say thank you so much for that that was so awesome and still like inviting me to screenings I know I'm so busy so I'm like one of these days I'm gonna get to do it (laughs) (laughs) that's cool you do it great so before we jump into the first question can you tell us a little bit about what you do and what your titles are and how do you work within the film realm Uh, That's a good question. Well, I am uh, Martin Jones. I go by Marty uh, in conversation, but I like to see it written out in print. (laughs) Um, 
I am the studio director for the Austin Film Society, which runs Austin Studios, the main movie studio here in Austin, Texas. It's a 20-acre complex with over seven sound stages and another seven support buildings. We have over 15 tenants. We're the home of um, the CBS Studios television show that shoots there called Walker. And um, we're the headquarters for uh, the legendary uh, digital media company, uh, Austin Success Story Rooster Teeth. <laughs> In addition to that, um, we have MPS camera grip and lighting there. We have several casting directors and producers, as well as folks doing post-production support services for the industry. And um, uh, that's who we are. You know, the Austin Film Society was founded by Richard Linklater in 1985. And in the year 2000, when the Austin airport moved to its current location, the old airport was being redeveloped into a master plan community called Miller. And even though it's spelled M-U-E-L-L-E-R, they pronounce it Miller here. Um, and Rick went to the then mayor, Kirk Watson, who ironically is now mayor again 23 years later, and said, hey, those empty airplane hangers would be great for making independent films and be converted into studios. And the mayor liked the vision, supported it, and went to council and, um, and pilot program was put together and then after a couple of years of testing um, it was solidified into a 75-year agreement so the Austin Film Society operates Austin Studios on land that's owned by the city of Austin at the former airport until the year 2084. That's amazing. That's I love, amazing. I love the repurposing of everything, and it just seems like Austin Studios has its own shebang. Like they have it all, and honestly, guys, it's amazing to just be on this on this studio set. Well, it has changed a bit even since you were there. Uh, the back lots been built up a little bit. There's a couple of more portable buildings. Uh, there's more sets, um, but it's it's a great creative space, and and the 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 big thing for the city and for the industry is that in the 23 years we've been running it, we've had over a thousand projects. The economic impact has been $2.5 billion with a B. Wow. Wow. And over 25,000 Texas jobs, nearly 35,000 jobs in total. But 25,000 people who live and call Texas home have worked at the studio over 23 years. So it's a huge impact, you know, film, TV, uh, digital media that all equals jobs and folks are you know well paid and many of the jobs do not require uh, any advanced degree or uh, even a bachelor's or any special certifications a lot of it's just you know skill talent and a lot of stamina and will to be pursuing a craft you know like hair and makeup or carpentry for film or you know, special effects. So that's what I do by day. Um, work with a great team. And, um, you know, on any given day, um, you know, over 600 jobs are represented by the companies at our studio. Um, that's pretty impressive. That is very impressive. Like, you're doing some really momentous things there. And it's, it's amazing. We'll see what where this position takes me after. Maybe I'll be there in the next year. <laughs> Everything's possible. Yeah. Um, okay. So for the first question, I know I know that was kind of like the first question, but we're now we're gonna yeah. move into some serious questions. Um, so as a black producer, can you tell us a little bit about your journey becoming a film producer? What inspired you to pursue this career and how did you get your start? I'll work backwards. Uh, yeah. My dad was a great photographer, and so I was in a dark room at our house mixing uh, chemicals as my dad printed the photos that he shot. And I watched him put them through the enlarger and see the negative image go positive once the light hit the paper, and then the paper went into a series of chemical uh, baths and trays. And then I would, you know, take the tongs and use this the, the stopwatch you know it had to be in a certain 
tray for a certain amount of time. And then to get to the very end and have um, a final photograph that then you hang up on the sort of line or put on a print dryer was fascinating. So this little camera that I held in my hand, snap it, it captures something from the outside world and then creates a negative image that then you turn into a positive image. So it was like this fascination of this magic little box, this camera, and how it could take a piece of paper, albeit special paper, you know, photo paper with, uh, you know, silver dyes and stuff on it and create an image that, you know, potentially can last forever is pretty amazing. And so that captured my imagination as a kid. Um, you know, back in those days, cassette decks had just came out. So I was making little commentaries of my dad's cassette player that he used for dictation at his office. And then one day I was at a family reunion and a friend had brought a Kodak Super 8 movie camera in case anybody wanted to film it. It was the first reunion. I picked it up and just started making movies. So 10 years old on a trip, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio, but on a trip down to South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, in my cousin's backyard, you know, my quote unquote movie career began. Um, I went to the movies a lot with my dad and one of the films that I wanted to see was in French. And they were like, why do you want to see that movie? And so I just want to see it because the, the, the ad was very intriguing. It was all the faces of these little kids. And the name of the movie was Small Change. Uh, I found out later that the French title was uh, L'Argent de Poche, Pocket Money. Mm -hmm. and, it was, and it was a film by Francois Truffaut. And I couldn't even say his name back then. Again, I'm like nine or 10 years old. And I'm like, Frank Hoist Truffaut. <laughs> My big brother, who was in college, uh, was like, no, Marty, that's Francois Truffaut. And so my dad took me to see this movie with subtitles at an art house. And it was fascinating, wonderful story of children and their summer vacations. And I was captivated. So growing up in my dad's dark room, going around with the camera, seeing how the prints were made, picking up a movie camera, seeing this amazing French film, all sort of solidified into this is something that I was intrigued by. My dad bought me a camera. I would make little home movies of like family stuff, my dog, my friends. And then um, by the time I got into middle school, or what we called junior high back then, I was like, I want to tell a story. I wanted to shoot a short. And that family reunion movie, I edited it. I edited this movie I, I, in air quotes. <laughs> because I didn't have any, I didn't have any equipment, and I used my mom's sewing scissors and magic scotch tape to just put the four reels together into one reel. And it took me all weekend to figure out that the image is upside down and it comes out the right way up, and then the, the sprocket holes only go on one side, and oh, don't edit it the proper way with the proper curvature. It can tear in the projector, and then I had to put them into order. And little did I know that, you know, for many, many years in Hollywood and, and around the world, movies were cut with scissors, literally, yeah. and, and cement. And so I figured out how to put these four reels together, beginning to end, you know, in, 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 in the chronological order. And then that captured my imagination. So I started making little story films. And then one day, um, in 1977, I'm dating myself. I was <laughs> on a phone call with my buddy on a commercial break. Because in those days, you had commercials on your TV shows. And whatever show we were watching, I want to say it was like a $6 million man or whatever. I had called him on a commercial break and we would talk on the phone about what we had just seen. And we're on the phone and all of a sudden, the screen goes black in this space pod shoots out into what looks like space we both go silent and what happened was we both witnessed at the same time on a friday night in columbus ohio the ad for star wars oh wow and we were like what was that <laughs> and you know several weeks later when the movie came out i was like mom i'm not going to school on this day i gotta go to you know and she let me go 
and I was fascinated. And I'm not a big sci-fi guy as far as the type of movies that I make, but that was the crystallization of everything I just told you. I was 14 years old or so, saw that, and then we decided we were gonna team up our efforts and make our own space movie called, uh, are, you, are you ready? Are you sitting down? Yeah. Gal- <laughs> Galaxy Wars, very original. Oh, <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so anyway, long story wow. short, some really cool stuff happened during my childhood that put all that into place. And then I was a part of a school that had a great arts program called Arts Impact. And so we were in the dark room, we were painting, we were doing music, we were, you know, recording, we were doing all kinds of things, dance. And that really all came together. My mom was a great um, fashion uh, maven. She should have been, you know, a designer with her own house, but you know, a little thing called racism got in the way. Mm, you know, my just dad, a little thing. <laughs> my dad could have been, you know, a Gordon Parks with the, you know, camera taking him around the world, but you know, it, it just didn't happen. So, I think in the America that we were entering into, which was a lot more positive than in the in the late seventies, um, they saw my interest and fascination with this, and they supported it, and so between my parents and my older siblings and me um, even drafting their kids as my talent, um, I I was sort of given open reins to pursuing a career uh, or pursuing a fascination that would later become my career. Wow, that's really beautiful. I love this uh, throwback to your experience because honestly, like, as you know, not many of us have that experience or um, the privilege to like pick up a film camera or even mess with film. You literally taught yourself how to do that, which is very impressive. Um, Cause I know dealing with film the first time was like <laughs> such a big headache. I I was like, I've never been so stressed in my life with film before. Oh, yeah. um, but just all of that, it sounds so beautiful with your, your family, your parents encouraging you in that way, especially like you said, like not seeing a lot of people like us in the industry or even in, in movies. So that's really beautiful. And I, I love that you um, chose to let us in on that. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, let's see. Could you walk through the process, production processes of one of your recent films? Like how did you approach pre-production, casting and post? And then what was that film? Well, my most recent film, I actually was never on the set when it was being shot. <laughs> so oh, just, just to give you a really dramatic, quick answer, mm-hmm. uh, the movie American Gadfly, which mm-hmm. you know your listeners can check out at AmericanGadflyMovie.com, um, was made by a, a director named Sky Wallen, who lives here in Austin, who happened to go to the same film school, the Arts College I went to, uh, Denison University um, in Ohio but younger than me. And he had made this film. He was having problems getting it into festivals and getting it into, distri- into distributors to, to consider. And I took a look at it and loved the movie. It was a political documentary about this retired 88, 89-year-old senator from Alaska, uh, Mike Gravel, who uh, let these high school kids from New York take over his Twitter page and try to get him nominated for the presidency of the United States and run his campaign. And it was in Rolling Stone magazine and Sky had seen it, you know, caught it like right at the beginning and captured the whole journey. So here it is, a completed film. It's in the can. It's fabulous. It's a a great movie. As a father of Gen Z millennials, I was like, young people must see this movie. I want to help you. And so I ironically uh, teamed up with my first mentor, uh, Dennis Egg, who is now soon to be retiring chair of the um, grad film school at Montana State. He produces a lot of feature documentaries. And I said, yeah, I don't know a lot about documentaries, but I, I really think there's something here. We teamed up, we put together the festival strategy. We got it its premiere, won audience uh, uh, best uh, audience choice award. Um, and it had a great run. 
had great publicity and we were able to sell it um, to a distributor and get the movie released across North America, you know, within less than eight months from seeing it. That's so amazing. that was really, really cool. And I'm really proud of that. So that is like where I'm at now with some projects. Um, like, okay, there's a lot of really good films out there that have been made or that are nearly done. And they're, you know, sort of orphaned by the system because everything has changed so rapidly since streaming. And it's like, how can I use who I know and what I know to move these projects forward? So that's one area I'm experimenting with. The last movie I made from scratch was a Christmas movie with Fred Hammond, the Grammy uh, winning um, gospel singer. And it's a movie called Christmas Who Needs It. And it was a unique situation because Fred been, you know, legendary, successful, you know, gospel artist, Grammy winner, touring the world, wanted to put stories to film. And so I came on board to help him launch his um, film company and to begin training his team on how to go from developing stage plays into screenplays and making movies. And in the process, we did some digital media, shorts, content, you know, we're all experimenting with, you know, YouTube and, and at that time, MySpace, hope you can believe it. Um, <laughs> and that was a movie that I was involved with from scratch, from day one, from the idea, you know, the putting together the writer's room, developing the script, and then going into pre-production and um, uh, shooting it, posting it, and then getting it distributed and you know, sold to television. So um, most of my movies I've been involved with from um, either a completed script or in some cases from the very beginning before the script was even written. Okay, that's amazing. I love the, the background for the doc and for the Christmas film. That's really impressive. Um, it's the, I love that how immersive you and your team was and just how you made it like a collaborative experience. Um, and also just, you know, the com- camaraderie amongst you guys. Yeah, it, you know, we, we lived, breathed, and, 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 and ate that movie together. I mean, we were, we were totally in lockstep with each other, you know, the whole time. So what kind of stories are you most passionate about telling through your work as a film producer? And how do you choose the projects that you work on? It's all about story. Uh, story, story, story. The lucky thing for me is I, I learned a long time ago that this is an art form and it's also a business. People call it show business, but it really should be called business show. Because if you don't understand a business, you're not going to have much fun in the show part of it. Um, so there's a marriage of art and commerce that is sort of necessary friction if you're going to be in the movie business. Now, if you want to you know, do any kind of creative expression, you can. But if you're trying to bring it to the marketplace, you've got to understand the forces of what audience excuse me what audiences want and what they may not know that they want but that you have an innate ability to share with them because you see a story that can take them to a new place so for me um you know my first movie that i produced was a movie that starred blair underwood michael beach and um debbie morgan called asunder and asunder was this just batshit crazy wonderful suspense thriller that Eric Bowers wrote and just every page was a page turner and it was you know black folks being beautiful and excellent and also dealing with a friend that was you know losing their mind and you know wrecking shops so to speak so it had that fun thrill ride uh, thrillers that we've all known and, and fallen in love with in the 90s, like, you know, uh, uh, Basic Instinct or, uh, um, you know, what's the, what's the great one with Glenn Close with the rabbit at the end? Uh, I'm blanking all of a sudden. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, 
that. Um, I'm blanking. But anyway, I mean, there were a lot of thrillers coming out. Uh, and it was like, we should be up here having our own thrillers. And oh, so, it's Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction, thank you. Uh, so, you know, Eric, uh, Eric Lee Bowers wrote this incredible script. The moment I met with his agent and read it, I was like, this is money. I mean, this is a great, great story. It's a thrilling movie. Um, it needs to be made. And yeah. so I gave the script to um, uh, the head of our company, Tim Reed, and he called me from an airplane. In fact, they said airplane headphones and the seats on the plane. <laughs> And he was like, oh my God, this script is great. Can you get him over to the office? So he and his agent came over to the office a few hours later that afternoon. We did a deal in um, less than two weeks. And literally in less than a year, we had a year option on the project. We were in production uh, and principal photography. And the really cool thing was that we were shooting it in Virginia at the studio that we were building. Oh, and wow. This first project to shoot at the studio is a movie that that you know that we developed so it, it, it was uh, you know no, you know before anybody knew who Tyler Perry was in Petersburg Virginia outside of Richmond we had built in 1997 in less than 18 months a 74 acre movie studio and we built a stage up from the ground up and a post-production uh, building and we did the whole thing there. We shot the movie there. We shot it on location in uh, the town where we were located and did all the post-production there and uh, took the movie out. So looking for stories that are fresh for Black audiences uh, are, 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 are of major interest to me. And this um, was for Asunder? This is for Asunder. Okay. Awesome. I've been involved with all kinds of movies. At the end of the day, I it's all about story. Is it a good script? Is it a good story? Is it going to excite an audience? Is it going to give uh, an audience a preview into a world that they don't know? And that's what I'm, I'm looking for. So, what, you know, whether it's a Sunder My Movie or Moonlight or, um, you know, Parasite, you know, uh, a great compelling all amazing story. movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that you said that. Um, and I love how much representation matters to you because it matters so much to me as well. And that's what I incorporate as well into my work outside of the show, of course, and into my writing. But I love that. I love that that's been your focus for your career. And I mean, I definitely see it. I have to check out Ascender now. <laughs> so definitely going to be on my watch list. Very um, cool. But yeah, that's it's really inspiring to see that and to hear that, especially from different generations because we definitely need more of that encouragement within the industry and just within our communities, for sure. Absolutely. So that leads me to my next question, actually. In your opinion, what are some of the biggest challenges facing Black filmmakers today and producers in the film industry today? And how do we navigate these uh, challenges? Well, I think the biggest challenge for any filmmaker regardless of your background, is money. Mm. You know, money, money, money. Uh, it is a, you know, very um, necessary component to um, the process because it's not a cheap art form. Um, yeah, you know, equipment has gone down. There is more access to, you know, digital technology. You know, Sean Baker made the incredible movie uh, Tangerine with, you know, three iPhone 5s. And, you know, the movie stormed the, the festival circuit. I think it, you know, won a major prize at Sundance. Um, so equipment is available. There's more access. But the more complicated your story and the more people that are involved, you know, you should be paying them ideally. Um, And so money is a component, you know, for everything in the arts, but in particular um, for film and television um, creation. Um, You know, we had an industry that did not believe that black stories traveled. So, you know, that limited the amount of money you could make through what's called pre-sales where you 
take your film and pre-sell territories around the world. And if one thing has really been positive to come out of streaming, you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime have proven that global audiences will watch each other's stories. People are watching Nollywood stories all over the world. People are watching Korean, you know, K-dramas all over the world. You know, people are watching um, shows that are in Spanish, shot in Spain, and they're hits all over the world. So this notion of, it, quote, it won't travel is being dispelled thanks to the streamers. But again, going back to Asunder um, and having worked many years in foreign sales before that, you know, I felt that, you know, Blair Underwood, not only being a friend, but, you know, a, a big star on television through L.A. Law would travel. And so we were uh, able to, to do something most black producers weren't able to do at that time in the late 90s. And that was we raised half our money through foreign pre-sales. That's and cool. yeah, <laughs> That's so, so awesome. So yeah, we you know, trailblazers in that sense. And then, you know, the movie did really well. And people, uh, you know, loved it. Uh, so I think that today's you know, black, you know, BIPOC filmmakers have um, some better comps than we did where they can point to a lot more films that have succeeded uh, with audiences and, and financially because of um, there being more stories about us and by us. Um, but it's still a challenge, you know, yeah. you, you know, just go turn on your television and, you know, just count the number of different people you see over an hour and you know, overwhelmingly, um, lion's share of those people are going to be uh, white people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the commercials, in the news, yep. in the you know, documentaries, yep. on the game shows, in the movies. So yeah. we just have to, you know, I think continue. I mean, I got to see. Um, I ran BET Films and BET Pictures once upon a time, and you know, I got to see what BET did with you know Bob and Sheila Johnson did when they founded that network and you know Deborah Lee as a you know, great executive who became the CEO um, you know they couldn't be all things to all people but they had black folks in the executive suite on the set on camera um, and in distribution and sales involved with that entire process and you know those are the kinds of things we, we should not lose sight of um, and, you know, Tyler Perry today is a great example of that, as is Byron Allen and uh, Oprah, um, of folks that are, you know, building, you know, major enterprises and succeeding. Yeah, definitely. Definitely appreciate what we have and what we, what we see and continue working towards that. And also, like you said, like, it's, it's just hard on top of the social ramifications that we deal with on a daily basis as well. That's another show, but yes. <laughs> yes, another show. Um, so how do you stay up to date with industry trends and advances in filmmaking technology? Or what resources do you rely on for inspiration and education? Uh, reading, reading, reading. Um, if you're in this business, you need to be reading and absorbing information. Um, there can be too much. So for me, I happen to be uh, sitting uh, at my table looking at my latest uh, print copy. Yes, I like the paper of the Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood Reporter, Variety, you know, they're now pretty much um, in print um, weekly publications, but then they have their online updates. So I subscribe to um, Hollywood Reporter, uh, The Wrap, uh, sometimes I look at Deadline. Um, I look at American Cinematographer. Um, I look at um, uh, some broadcast journals, and I just I just uh, keep an eye on the industry through those. But I'm also looking at lifestyle, fashion, uh, poetry, deep cut art uh, uh, magazines, um, Apple news has been a great source of uh, getting access to stories and the new yorker and 
you know, the Atlantic Monthly and other publications. So I, I you know, I look at the LA Times a lot, but reading, I, I read, uh, I read a lot um, to, to sort of stay on top of things. And then I travel, you know, and I go meet people. Um, even here in town, you know, I, I, some guys just opened up a new, a new studio. So quote unquote competition, but <laughs> not being afraid of that, embracing that because they've got a big volume wall that is the way shows are being shot, like The Mandalorian, you know, with the sets already pre-created on the LED screens behind the actors. So I haven't done that yet. You know, as a producer, I've been close to it, but I haven't done it. So I wanted to see it, went out to their place and seen how they've evolved and, you know, Stray Vista Studios is a new, you know, welcome addition to our marketplace, to our ecosystem, as is um, co-production house. They're doing this work with LED walls. And so I go to those uh, facilities, I go to their open houses, I you know belong to some meetup groups. Uh, we have got one here called All Entertainment Business in Austin uh, that Jennifer Hutchins runs. It's really great to get out and meet people. And then when you meet them, follow up. Like, oh, I wanna come see your, your post-production facility. I wanna come see your, your volume wall. But um, you kind of don't know what to go see if you don't gather the information and I think the easiest way to do that is through reading and if you don't have a lot of money to pay for these uh, subscriptions don't forget your good old-fashioned free library card <laughs> your library is an amazing resource and you don't have to go to the library these days so much of what they offer is completely uh, connected and available to you through um, uh, their online website and so you can get access to the library subscriptions because, you know, the, uh, that's what they provide. They're, they're providing a 21st century experience for their, for their members. So don't forget your library. Library is a yes. powerful secret weapon. Yes. Thank you for all of those other resources as well. And yes, don't forget your library. I need to get a library card myself for here, but I, I use a lot of online articles myself. Yes. Um, okay. I just have two more questions for you. So, one, second to last, would be what advice would you give to aspiring Black filmmakers and producers who are just starting out in the industry? Uh, study and read. Meet others. Get out of your comfort zone. Find ways to create community. It's a collaborative industry, and if you don't know how to collaborate for free, you're going to have trouble collaborating you have money and you want to make those muscles be as in shape as you know your physical body and mind as possible so that you can do your best work when you have the opportunity i think that you know we are all looking for you know this magical thing to happen sometimes it happens but by and large anybody who you see um succeeding or doing something that you admire in film television or, or new media they've just been busting their rear end and they've been working hard and you know you also want to learn to sort of graduate from not just working hard to working smart mm -hmm. um, yes. and if you are a producer produce something if you're a director direct something if you're a writer write something uh, probably the biggest mistake that I made coming out of film school going to Hollywood when I did um, was that I stopped writing, mm -hmm. um, yeah. you know, and some of the greatest fortunes in the world in entertainment were written by hand. Uh, Star Wars was written on ego pads with a number two Ticonderoga pencil by George Lucas. J.K. Rowling wrote the Harry Potter series as a single mom on welfare in a tea shop by hand. Um, so, right, if you, if no one, you know, you may have a hard time going to people and say, I need a thousand dollars for my film, you know, but if you went up to somebody on the street and said, can I have some paper and a pencil, please? I'm writing a story and I ran out. Most, I think 99% of the planet will help you do that. Right? Because it, it's, it's, it's so odd. So at the end of the day, you don't need a fancy computer. If you do need a computer, again, your library is your friend. Um, your, 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 your electronic device can be your friend, but you know, Getting and developing that hygiene of creating something every day, writing something every day, producing a podcast like you're doing, um, 
you know, creating short films, using, you know, um, smartphones, uh, becoming a member of a place like the Austin Film Society, uh, where we have our community media center. I mean, we've got two studios and state-of-the-art gear that you can get access to for free, editing for free, and then put your uh, final product on television. And it also can be seen on Roku and Apple by your audience around the world. So if you're you know, living in Austin and you're from uh, Pakistan, you can be making your projects here, meeting people, collaborating, and then they can tune in on uh, Apple TV or Roku somewhere else in the world and watch what you make. So these resources are, are here. And, you know, in some places, if your listeners are in a rural or smaller area, it may be a little bit more difficult. But I tell you, the fact that you can gain so much information using Google and YouTube and, you know, the internet. It's crazy. It's, it's, I mean, I, I had to go, you know, on the bus downtown to the library, to the card catalog, to get the book, to then bring home, to then read. And then before I moved to Hollywood, I would go back downtown to the library, to the phone book room. Wow. Yeah. He had some serious dedication. You, you go, you go, you go, you know, you then go to the phone book room, get the phone book, get the address of Paramount Studios. Okay. Then go home, write a letter, type it on a typewriter, fold it up, go to the post office, send it, wait for, you know, uh, the hope of a reply. The fact that you can now at Ava DuVernay on um, Twitter and she might respond or at Kerry Washington or at, you know, uh, you know, Ryan Coogler is amazing. It's fascinating. And I think, you know, um, you see somebody like Justin Bieber, you know, started on YouTube and, you know, it's now this global sensation. So these tools are here to be learned and to be used. And I think, you know, your listeners uh, need to be producing and creating with the tools that they have access to. Learning about AI, learning about, um, you know, the new things that are coming down the pike, immersive storytelling. These are all things you need to embrace. You need to have your curiosity uh, peaked by them. And most importantly, you have that opportunity to meet with someone like me or someone even more advanced than me. You want to be able to show your body of work. Here's my website. Here's my online portfolio. Here's my online video channel. Here's my, you know, podcast, you know, whatever it is, the world is literally oyster now. The things that you all have access to are insanely amazing. I totally when I say agree. when I say you all, I mean everybody, but I mean sort of toward younger people. I mean, you know, we just didn't have this kind of instant access in my pocket that you could create a high def digital image, add music, effects, editing, post it, and distribute it to the world. I, that was unimaginable when I was your age. It's definitely exciting times to have mm-hmm. all this information and resources at our fingertips. Absolutely. So take advantage of it and do it. Totally. I agree. So my last question for you for today is, could you share a project that you're currently working on or something that makes it unique or important to you? Yes. My uh, personal project that's got me extremely excited is uh, the work of a group called Black Film Geniuses. uh, the, the project is called Black Film Geniuses. The website is blackfilmgeniuses.com. And these women are absolutely amazing. Um, outside of my day job and, you know, working with, you know, Rick Linklater and Elizabeth Avian, you know, visiting filmmakers from around the world on my own as I was acclimating to being back in Texas. I had lived in Dallas uh, 10 years before I'd come back. Um, I, I, I was getting to know Austin and it seemed like everywhere I went, I was meeting black women filmmakers. And it got to the point where it was like, that was all I was meeting outside of work. And I was just joking with a friend of mine. I said, I don't know where all these little black film geniuses came from. I don't know what's in the water. I don't know what's in the water in Austin. And you know, he said, that's it, Marty. And they go, what? He says, you've been wanting to do something. That's what you should call it. Black film geniuses. You just said it. And I was like, you're right. So. 
started this group. You know, we met, I met about five or six of the women at different events and found out that they knew other people, knew each other, went to some screenings, uh, web series and short films and things like that. And then the global pandemic happened. Yeah. And we're all at home. And I've been in Austin all of three months and now, you know, in my house, like the rest of the world, trying to figure out what's going on. And so we all decided to, I set up a Zoom account and we decided to have a happy hour every Friday at five o'clock. And after a couple of those, just talking about the world and what's going on, it was like, well, Marty, you know all these people. Could you invite some people? People are at home. I'm like, that's a great idea. So I invited my kid's godmother, who's you know, my, my, my first producing partner, Judy McCurry, an amazing black woman. She's, you know, co-exec producer and writer on her special victims unit. Um, I invited, you know, managers and producers and other showrunners and writers. And after about six or seven um, uh, guests, they're like, let's do our own writers. So that every Friday we were checking in and so we decided to create an anthology feature film called Color Noir with a little fancy. Okay. We decided to make. Uh, oh, can you say that one more time? Yeah, I will. Yeah. So after several weeks of being in this writer's room, we realized we wanted to do an anthology feature film. And it was going to be comprised of six or seven shorts. It ended up being seven shorts in a 100 minute movie. And it would be united under the sort of umbrella of two things, black erasure and black future. We will not be erased from the past and we will exist in the future. And so then the team started writing uh, two scripts each shorts. Uh, so 14 short films were written, seven were chosen, curated to fit, that fit the theme best. And now we have this amazing, um, anthology of seven short films that tied together, you know, bring a beautiful spotlight to this notion of black erasure and black future. And it's all genres. We have horror, we have sci-fi, we have romantic comedy. I love that. We have, you know, coming of age, we have magical realism, we have fantasy, all in these stories. And so what I'm now doing that, you know, the fourth and fifth drafts of all those are done, story readings, we did a virtual zoom story read table read with like the cast and all we did all of this virtually right wow um and then we developed our pitch deck and our, our you know our, our, our look and mood boards and and the script and you know the budget and everything and now um we're out at two major studios in hollywood um looking at the project i met with uh both uh studios uh executives uh in person here in Austin during South by Southwest. That's amazing. Yeah. Definitely making some big moves. Yeah. So, you know, I'm very busy running Austin Studios. Uh, I'm, I'm very thankful for that opportunity. I'm very thankful that Austin has become the kind of place that people come to at, a, at a, an event like South by Southwest. And glad that I can, you know, also work on some of my personal passion projects and I really, you know, honed in and focused on two. One was American Gadfly. We got that out, we sold it, it was released. And now I'm working on manifesting and producing and creating uh, this film, uh, Color Noir, with Black Film Geniuses. So those are my two passion projects. One is out, one is in the- In the, in in the, the oven. Black, in the oven. And, uh, <laughs> you know, hopefully we'll have a, a great announcement uh, later this year. Awesome. I can't wait to hear about it. I'm, I love anthology, so I'm really, I'm really excited to see what this one. And I still need to see where we get my too. Well, when you get a chance, please do. Yes, of course. And of course, American Gadfly is available on all the streaming services. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time, Martin. I have loved this conversation and your interview has been very helpful. And I hope that my listeners find it just as helpful and it's enjoyable as I have. Absolutely. Well, thank you. And uh, I hope that everyone will walk away from this dialogue with uh, encouragement and inspiration to be creating and to use what they have access to right now and not be limited by anything. Exactly. Exactly. We are, there are no limits. And you've definitely inspired me already today. So that's a win for me. 
right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today on Films and Teens. Please stay tuned for more. Thank you, my little tings, for joining the show today. I just wanted to give you a few updates. The show may be moving to a different podcast provider other than Spotify slash Anchor, but I will definitely update you guys. Please stay tuned over the next several months. Films and Tings is now also accepting advertisement requests. If you want to check out any of my past works, go to the links provided in the episode description and go to VideoWorks. And now it's time for our interesting fact of the day. Have you ever thought about the hand gestures that we use on a normal basis? Like a person like me, I speak a lot with my hands. So I thought it'd be interesting to incorporate that in today's episode. According to Reader's Digest, did you know that the thumbs up slash thumbs down has actually originated from ancient Rome? Referees originally used the gestures in ancient Rome to determine whether a gladiator should live or die. So interestingly enough, the thumbs up meant death and pressing your thumb down on your fist meant life. So eventually these two gestures and implications largely swap meanings, which is why we now have the thumbs up to be positive and thumbs down to connotate negative. Thank you so, so, so much, my little tings, for joining me today on Films and Tings. I hope you have a lovely day. Don't forget to get your sunlight, drink your water, take a deep breath, and peace out, guys. Films and Tings and tings and films films and tings and tings